in December of 2001, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, there it is, uh, was reopened to the public. It had been closed for almost 12 years, and during that time, engineers completed a $25 million renovation project designed to help stabilize the tower. They removed 110 tons of dirt. They reduced its famous lean by about 16 inches. Now, you wouldn't want to make the Leaning Tower of Pisa straight because then it wouldn't be the Leaning Tower of Pisa anymore and no one would visit. So, uh, But they they firmed it up. They they moved it back a, a, a little bit because the tower has been tilting and tilting and tilting and tilting further and further uh, to the point that uh, the top of the 185-foot tower was actually 17 feet further over, further south than the, uh, than the base of it. The Italian authorities were concerned that if nothing was done, it was going to topple over on somebody. Uh, the problem wasn't that the tower was designed poorly uh, it, when it was built. Uh, literally, it was built in the 1100s, and, uh, but, it, but it was designed well. It was built with the, the, the best of, of, of materials. Uh, it was built by the great, greatest craftsmen of the day. The problem was what the tower is built on. Uh, the sandy soil uh, of the city of Pisa just wasn't stable enough to hold such a structure. And so the tower didn't have a solid foundation to hold it up, and over time it has been leaning further and further and further. As you probably know, it matters what we build on. Uh, that's true in construction, and it's true in our spiritual lives. So many times we, we, we build our lives on things that are less than solid spiritually. And, and it may sound good, it may look good, it, it may, may be what everybody else is saying, but if it's not in the Bible and it's not uh, something that we can really depend on uh, day after day for, for life and for eternity, then it's going to let us down. And today we're starting a uh, series on the book of Romans. Uh, Romans, and, and as you can see there, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of the title of the series is The Foundations of Our Faith. The book of Romans is a book that we would do well to study inside and out. Uh, we, we, would, uh, we would do well to build our lives. If we built our lives on the deep truths contained in the book of Romans, we would build strong and solid lives that would withstand anything now and for eternity. The, the book of Romans is, is, uh, is a foundation that we can build on. The preface, in his preface to, the, uh, to, to his commentary on the book of Romans, Martin Luther wrote this. This letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So, we're going to dive into, we're going to look at, we're going to study the book of Romans. If you haven't ever read the book of Romans, now would be a good time. Maybe you have read the book of Romans and you've kind of uh, sped through it. Maybe this would be a great time to settle down in it. Maybe you, I don't know, hypothetically, maybe you go to a Sunday school class that's supposed to be on every other book of the Bible, uh, but uh, but instead it always comes back to Romans, uh, David Applegate. But um, uh, so so maybe, uh, and those of you that are in that, uh, that uh, class, uh, you'll probably be pointing out everything I miss as 
as I go through it uh, here in in uh, in the sermons. But uh, we're going to be going to be looking at it. You know, we're going to wrestle with it. We're going to we're going to we're going to come at it from different angles. We're going to we're going to see that it really is essential uh, to, uh, to 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 living our Christian. The, the things contained in this book are really the core essential truths of what it means to follow Jesus. So um, we, we haven't, usually we do some topical things, right? Topical studies and we go four or six weeks on a certain topic and and uh, yet at times we grab a book of the Bible. This is one of those times where we grab that book of the Bible and we're going to walk through it. Um, now my plan is that we'll do that throughout this winter and, and at least heading toward Easter. Now as I studied this week and I cut the sermon in half and, and then I cut it in half again in order to uh, get to the, don't worry, it's still long, um, but um, uh, it, it, it might go past Easter. I don't know. Anyway, we, this is good, good stuff, and it's uh, it's essential, and we don't want to miss it. Uh, so I hope that uh, that you'll be reading it, that you'll be contemplating it, that uh, you'll be keeping me honest through it. Um, and and so I, I want us to dive in today. But before we even get there, we have to we have to kind of get our bearings, so to speak. We have to kind of figure out where where we're at in this whole thing. What is the book of Romans? Where did it come from? Uh, as with any book of the Bible, it helps to discover the setting, right? And the time frame when it was written, who it's written to, uh, uh, to who it's written by, uh, the, the, what was the significance to the people that received it. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you know it or not, but it's a great way to, to come to any passage of Scripture. Uh, you, the Bible can't mean something for us today that it never meant for the original people who heard it. So if you're reading a, a verse and you go, oh, well, that means this, and you go over here, well, no, you've got to realize what that verse was, uh, you know, who it was written to and why it was written to them, and the, the meaning for them isn't going to change just because I want to grab it and make it apply to my life. So we've got to get kind of the, the background information uh, in order to understand uh, who these Romans Roman people were, how they lived, why this letter would have been written to them in the first place. And so I want us to dive right in with some of that introductory stuff so that we can understand them. This will kind of set the foundation for the rest of our uh, study on the foundations of our faith. Um, I want to start out with what the Ro- book, of, uh, book of Romans is. It really, it's not a book, it's a letter. Uh, it, it maybe, maybe you've heard it referred to as an epistle. Now, growing up, I always thought the, the epistles were simply the wives of the apostles. Um, turns out that's not true, I guess. So uh, if you were thinking that, I'm probably the only one. But um, uh, an epistle is just another word for a letter. Uh, it, Romans is a letter. Uh, it, that's important to know. It's the first one that you come to in the in the New Testament. So you're walking through. you got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus, right? And uh, uh, Jesus' life and death and resurrection and four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then the book of Acts is really the whole title of that is the Acts of the Apostles. So all the apostles, all these uh, disciples that had been following Jesus... Then the book of Acts kind of picks up where the Gospels leave off and tell the story of the early church and how it got started and, and the, uh, the missionaries and the, the apostles and the, 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 the whole spread of the church throughout the world. Well, then overlapping that, we come to the book of Romans. It's the very first one of these letters that, uh, that, that are in the New Testament. Now, these letters, uh, Paul wrote a lot of them and, uh, most of them he's writing them to churches and to people that, uh, that, that need to be encouraged and, and, and edified and strengthened. But it's, it, it's, it matters that, that Romans is a letter. Uh, it's not another kind of literature. It, when you're coming to certain uh, literature in any study, uh, it matters what, what it is, why it was written. Uh, it, it changes how we study it. 
I mean, if, if something is a story, then we study it in a certain way. If it's a historical document that someone runs across, then we need to study it in a certain way, different from a story. If something is a, uh, is a theological argument, then it's going to be a lot different than a story or a historical document. If something is a, is a sermon, then we're going to look at it differently. Uh, if, if something is a letter, then we're going to look at it uh, specifically in that context. Romans is a letter. We know this because it's set up as a letter from the start. It's the, the traditional way that, uh, that, that that personal letters in the first century in the Roman Empire were were written. Uh, the, you list it's a little different than what we are what we do today. First of all, you list two, then you list from. I mean, you list from, then you list two, and then you list the greeting. So uh, you know we we tend to uh, we tend to do it a little differently today. We we go to and then we write our letter and then we sign it at the end, right? Well, this is actually signed first. Then there's uh, then there so it's from to and then a greeting. So that's how that's how it's set up, uh, and that's how a lot of these books in the New Testament, these letters in the New Testament that Paul and others wrote. Um, are, are set up, and so we know that this is a letter. We, we see from the, from the first word that the Apostle Paul, uh, is the one that wrote this letter. Uh, he starts out, the very first word is Paul. So, uh, Paul is the first one. He didn't say from Paul, but, uh, literally that's, that's how it was. So he says Paul, and, and then, then, uh, a, a few verses down, uh, we, we see that it's directed to Christians in Rome. So, uh, it's from Paul to Christians in Rome. It's a lot like a lot of Paul's other letters, except that that uh, some significant differences in that uh, in that Paul didn't plant this church. Most of the other uh, the letters that he's writing, he's writing to people that he's met. He's <coughs> excuse excuse me, getting all choked up about the introduction to the book of Romans. That's pretty cool. Um, He's in all these other letters. He's writing to churches that he's planted. He started. He scratched them out of the ground. He talked to people. He he uh, he preached. He he built these churches. He knows these people inside and out. He knows what they're going through. And 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 then he's writing this letter to encourage them. You know, in the technology of today, he would be texting and emailing, calling and and all those kinds of things. But back then, they had letters. He couldn't get there uh, uh, over and over again. So he wrote letters. But the Book of Romans uh, is a letter written to a church that Paul didn't start to people, most of whom he had not never met. Uh, we don't even know, scholars don't even know exactly how the church in Rome got started because Paul had never been there before. We read through the book of Romans and, and we'll see as we, as we walk through it that, that, that he'd never been there before, but he was uh, excited about getting there. The only clue in scripture that we have uh, about how the book of, uh, how the church in Rome got started uh, is that uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, when, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on the church and, and the, uh, the apostles start prophesying and teaching in the streets and, and, and it lists a bunch of people that were there from a bunch of different world areas. And one of those people in Acts 2, 10 and 11, it says there were visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. They were in the crowd that day when Peter's preaching his famous uh, sermon on, on, uh, in Acts chapter 2 on, on Pentecost uh, when, the, when the church was born and uh, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. It says, well, some of those people were visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. So it's... Uh, it's probably a real good guess that uh, that those folks who were converted then went back home, took the message of Jesus with them, and uh, through that process started a church. Now, people were beginning to travel more and more those days anyway, and so uh, so anybody really could have traveled there. We don't have record of exactly who it was or when it started, but it looks like it's been around for a while uh, when Paul writes this letter to them. 
and uh, and somehow that church took root. And uh, according to Paul in verse eight of chapter one of Romans, uh, literally their faith was well known throughout the world. So uh, so not only was this a church, but it wasn't a struggling church; it was a thriving church and had been around a little while. A little bit about Rome. Uh, we need to understand. Um, you're probably aware, and this is probably understating it just a little bit, but Rome was kind of a big deal. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you know that, maybe you don't. Um, unlike most other empires in history, uh, which are, which are named after nations, uh, this, the Roman Empire was named after a single powerful city the city of Rome, right? Rome is the capital of an area that at the time was the equivalent probably about the uh, the same size as the United States. Uh, estimates are that the entire population of that area was uh, was at least 50 million people at that time. The, the city of Rome itself, they say, was an amazing place. And you've seen pictures and you've studied books and you've heard about it in, in history class growing up and all those kinds of things, I'm sure. But the, the city of Rome itself, I mean, they had paved streets, just unheard of in those days. There, there was a river, the Tiber River ran through Rome. They actually had built bridges over this so they could get around and pave streets. And, and the, the architecture was, was amazing. And the, there were marketplaces everywhere. There were even high-rise apartment buildings up to four stories high. Now, this is ancient Rome, four-story high apartment buildings. Rome was famous for its aqueducts. So they had fresh water coming uh, almost 50 miles from the hill country outside, coming into the city on these aqueducts, just an amazing uh, technological marvel of its day. Uh, of course, you've, you know about the, the Colosseum and, and uh, the, the other amazing structures, that, that part, of who, part of which stand to this day. Uh, Rome was also known for its strong leadership, and, and uh, studies have been done throughout the years studying the, the, the leadership and the effects of the, uh, the, the Roman Empire and its Caesars. Of course, its army and its navy were second to none. And uh, I mean, I guess I say all that to say Rome was a big deal. <laughs> the Roman Empire ruled all, and the city of Rome was the hub. And Paul wrote this letter to Christians living in that hub. That matters. We need to kind of keep that now in the, in the context of, of, uh, of, of studying this book. We also need to know not only who wrote the, uh, the, the book, but what were these people like that, uh, that, that, that Paul wrote it to, wrote, wrote this letter to? As, and and uh, beyond what these people were like, we need to know when he wrote it, because that matters in the significance of things, and we need to know why he wrote it. Scholars are pretty uh, pretty sure that it's within a window of a few years that Paul would have written this because of things that are in the book of Roman uh, in the book of Romans and Paul writing it, and because of uh, some other factors that we get from the book of Acts and other places. Uh, Romans, the, this letter to the church in Rome was uh, was written between A.D. fifty three and A.D. fifty nine. Uh, so the significance of that is it's literally about twenty to twenty five years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. So very short amount of time between the time that that that, that Jesus raised from the dead and the time that that Paul is writing to this church, which has existed for a while because it's known throughout the world. Their faith is known, so it's probably been around for several years at least. So this church sprung up uh, right after the time of Jesus. 
through, through information in the letter itself, we can derive that, that, that Paul wrote this letter during his last trip to Corinth. And uh, it, it was right before his final trip back to Jerusalem where he was going to deliver an offering that he'd been collecting. So Paul took three missionary trips. This is on his third trip, his last trip to Corinth. He's getting ready to, to take this offering that he's been collecting to the poor folks in, in Jerusalem. Then he's planning a trip from Jerusalem uh, to Rome and beyond. And so he's writing this uh, on the on the, the verge of that. Things didn't pl- pan out the way he wanted them to, but that's where we, uh, we, we find Paul when he's writing this, uh, this letter. In chapter 15, he told the Romans that he was going to visit them as soon as he delivered that offering, and, and then he was on his way to spread the gospel to the people of Spain. And so, uh, in that, Paul never got to Spain, as, as maybe you're aware, but, uh, but, but that was his plan. And so in the whole scheme of scripture then, Romans was written after Paul, uh, traveled for years as a missionary. Uh, he was preaching and planting churches, and he's writing this letter after he's, uh, done a whole lot of this for, for many years. Uh, now, maybe, again, maybe you're aware of this, maybe you're not, the, 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 the letters in the, in the New Testament are not, uh, in our, Compiled, they're not compiled in uh, in chronological order. So the book of Romans uh, wasn't written first, uh, it, it, but it comes first. Primarily, it comes first because it's foundational and core and epic in in what it contains. Uh, but uh, Romans was written just to get get your your frame of mind around it. Uh, Romans was written after First and Second Thessalonians was written after First and Second Corinthians uh, um, and after Galatians, but before Philemon and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians. All those were written while he was in. Uh, uh, in in prison in Rome, so uh, so that just kind of helps us get a feel for when this was written. But why in the world would Paul write to these Christians in Rome, most of whom he he'd never met? Now he'd met some of them. We see a list at the end in chapter sixteen of different people that he knew that uh, that were there primarily because he had encountered them on other trips, and they had now uh, tra- transferred to Rome. There are many theories about why Paul would have written. This, uh, this letter to the Romans, one theory is that Paul had a theological purpose in writing. Now, I, I've told you that, that this has the foundations of our faith in it, right? That it, it's very theological. And we walk down through, theological just means the study of God. And so we're, we're, uh, we're looking at all these arguments for believing this and believing this and not believing this and not believing that. And Romans is chock full of theology. And so many scholars say, well, Paul wrote this, uh, this letter in order to, uh, he kind of took the opportunity to, to kind of spell out all the theology that he'd been working out as he's preaching in all these places. And, and he's kind of coming to this place and he's he's sending it as a letter yes but it's really a theological purpose where where he's writing and and that's true it, it is chock full of theology and, and it is the, the the best and most succinct statement of Paul's theological stuff that we have but that wasn't his only purpose as we said it's it's a letter it's a personal letter from a person to people and it's not just about theology although there's a lot of theology in it so so that's one one reason that Paul wrote this was to spell out theology but but it wasn't necessarily his whole reason another reason that he would have written this would have been a pastoral purpose. And, and I think this theme uh, flows through every letter that Paul writes. He's writing to a group of people and he's concerned about their spiritual well-being. He's concerned about that they, that they live lives pleasing to God. And so, uh, we can see throughout the, the, this letter and all the others that Paul addresses specific things that are going on in the life of the church. Maybe things that are going great and he commends them for this. And then things where they need encouragement or instruction or guidance. Hey, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And, and so there's certainly a pastoral element to this. 
It's again, it's a letter from from a person to people, uh, from a pastor, a missionary to this group of people, this church. And so there's certainly a pastoral purpose. So there's a theological purpose. There's a, a pastoral purpose, and and I believe other scholars are also correct that there's a, a missional purpose. There, the, the, Paul had a, a, a missionary uh, mindset as he's writing this. Some some scholars go so far as to say this was really his only purpose. He's really just trying to win over the people of Rome uh, so that they will support him as kind of his new hub as he heads off towards Spain. And so uh, so he's trying to win them over. He's trying to, uh, to to lay out who he is. And as they uh, get on board with him, then he's going uh, to live with them. That's going to be his new home base. And he's going to shoot off to other places now that he hasn't, hasn't been before. And certainly there is an indication that that's probably part of his motivation. So, so uh, it, I think it's true. There's all three. There's a theological purpose, and we'll see theology all the way through it. There's a pastoral purpose, and we'll see Paul addressing these specific needs in, uh, in this church. And there's a missional purpose. Paul is not just content on on uh, uh, circling the wagons and just hanging out in Rome, but he, he's looking for uh, springing off toward, toward uh, spreading the gospel around the world. There's truth in, in all of those things. Okay, that was a very brief, believe it or not, a very brief uh, introduction of background to, uh, to the book of Romans. Romans is a letter written by Paul 20 to 25 years after Jesus' resurrection to a church that he didn't start in the hub of the power of the Roman Empire. It is a pivotal piece of literature. It is inspired by God and it is included in our canon of scripture because it is so deep and rich and full of meaning to be applied not only to the lives of the people of Rome in that church then, but also applied to our lives today. It has stood the test of time. It literally does spell out the foundations of our faith. If all we had was the book of Romans, it would be enough to build our faith. The truths contained in these 16 short chapters have have helped thousands, millions, I would say, uh, over the last two centuries find and develop their faith. In Jesus Christ, the truths of Romans uh, seem to have a unique way of of, of sparking revival and renewal uh, down through history. Just a few examples in AD 386. So just uh, a couple three hundred years after Romans was written, Augustine of Hippo. Maybe you've heard of Augustine. He's in northern Africa, and he was uh, he was not living the way he should as a young man, and his mother prayed for him, and, and, and Augustine, maybe you've uh, heard about the, the big uh, confessions that he that he wrote, but uh, uh, before he got to that point, uh, he had been he had been contemplating and thinking and, and living a, a really a, a sin-filled, shameful life. But he's contemplating the, 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 the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. He was, he was reading through that, uh, sitting outside in the yard, and, and, and literally he, he read some of these words, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And Augustine wrote later about that day, he said, I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. Augustine and his writings have impacted thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of people down through history. And God used the words in the book of Romans, this letter to this church in Rome, to spark that, uh, that, that, that ministry through the, the, the ministry of, of Augustine. Several hundred years later, over a thousand years later, uh, in November of 1515, Martin Luther began studying Romans uh, with the express intent of writing and teaching it at the University of Wittenberg. 
As he studied, he was impacted more and more by the concept of justification by faith. He had always heard the phrase, the righteousness of God, and seen it as a, as a, as a demand to be lived up to, this impossible standard that he could never achieve. We, we need to have the righteousness of God. But in his study, Luther came to realize that God's righteousness is a gift of God coming to people through faith and not by earning it. And Luther described himself through this study as being, quote, reborn. And as you may know, the consequence of, of that new insight springing straight from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, resulted in the Protestant Reformation. We are here today uh, partly because of that, that happening several hundred years ago. Impact from this this amazing book. Uh, a couple hundred years later, John Wesley, on May twenty fourth, seventeen thirty eight, he's sitting in a service in uh, in London on Aldersgate Street, and, and they were studying Luther's preface to the Book of Romans. So Luther wrote this. He taught it. A couple hundred years later, they're still uh, p- circulating it around in the church, and and they're reading the preface, just the preface to his commentary on the Book of Romans. And and Luther writes about that. He says at a quarter before nine, when he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. Wesley says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And in that moment, literally, the evangelical revival of the 18th century began, and lives were impacted for eternity because of what God did through this letter and through these godly men. About a 100 years later, In August of 1918, Swiss theologian Karl Barth published his studies on the book of Romans, and it so radically awakened the liberal humanistic theology of the day that it's described as, quote, a bombshell that exploded on the church and gave birth to the evangelical movement of the 20th century. Uh, What happened in in these four famous uh, theologians through the truths and the powerful letter of, of the book of Romans ignited a passion and fanned a flame that literally changed Western civilization and culture the way uh, changed it completely. And although it may be on a smaller scale, that potential is there for each one of us as well. There's the potential for a fire and a passion to be ignited in our souls as we walk through the pages of this letter to the people in the book of Romans. So if you haven't already, buckle up, wake up. How about that? Wake up and buckle up. We'll be studying, uh, we'll be studying the pages of this of this uh, book, this letter for, for several weeks. Read it, read through it, spend time uh, uh, studying it, thinking about it, text me questions throughout the week, email me, uh, let me know what, you, what, you, what you're thinking about. Um, this really does have the power to change our lives. If we really drill down on these things and apply them to our lives, we won't be the same again. And, and I want you to catch that as with any part of scripture, but especially this, uh, this amazing book of Romans. Uh, I want us to jump right in, and I want us to, again, just, uh, just barely catch a glimpse. At this point, we don't have time to do much except catch uh, just a few verses this morning. Romans chapter 1, the first seven verses. So it's the introduction. It's, it's the, the, the from and the to and the greeting. That's what we're going to be looking at. Paul, a servant of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, 
and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call on the Gentiles to the obedience, all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Two, all in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually just one sentence in Greek, 126 words, and practically just spells out uh, from Paul uh, to uh, the, those who are loved by God in Rome, and then gives the uh, the greeting, a, a greeting that would have been uh, common for a lot of letters, and is common on in uh, in virtually all of Paul's letters. Uh, it, he says, uh, "Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." So it's from Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then there's this uh, this this space there from verse 2 to verse 6, kind of this parenthetical thing. Paul seems to be chomping at the bit to get right into this letter. So rather than just saying, uh, it's from me and it's to you, now let's get started. He says, it's from me and let's get started. Oh, wait, it's to you and uh, here's the greeting. Now let's, let's get into it even more. Uh, but he talks about this Jesus that he's fallen in love with, this Jesus that loves him, this Jesus that has called him. And, and he goes on and on and on. Uh, but literally still, just one sentence, he continues on. And then two, all in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. Just seven verses, yet there's amazing truth for us today. And I want us to look at really just the first little part here this morning, and that is Paul's description of himself, because I think in, in just real quick, we can, we can recognize who we are in Christ. Paul had his identity resting in something that we have our identity resting into. First of all, Paul described himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. There are six different words in Greek that talk about servanthood. And Paul could have chosen any of them to describe his relationship with Jesus. They're all about following along, being a servant, uh, being a, a father. Well, Paul chose the, uh, the, the most extreme of these six words, and it actually, it's, it's doulos, which actually means slave, a bond slave. It, it's the term used to describe slaves sold at an auction to the highest bidder in the town square. And Paul says, I am a slave, a doulos of Jesus. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus purchased Paul from the marketplace and now everything that Paul was, his, his strength, his wit, his money, his time, his entire life, all that was Paul no longer belongs to Paul anymore, but now it all belongs to further the cause of his master, Jesus. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. First and foremost, right out of the gate, this is how Paul describes himself. Now, I, I said Paul didn't know these people. He hadn't built this church. And, and if, in fact, he was really trying to win them over so that they would support him in his efforts to, to go even further, then I would think Paul would try to put his best foot forward from the start. And so he's literally lining out his credentials, saying, I'm Paul, and this is me. And uh, you'd think maybe he'd start off with, um, you know, I met Jesus once, uh, and and... Maybe, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I've been traveling the countryside for many years and I've, I've uh, planted all these churches and here's the attendance and, and uh, here's how much money we brought in. And, and, uh, but it starts off with, I'm Paul 
I'm a slave to Jesus. Everything that I am, all that God has made me throughout my life and the experiences that he brought me through, all of that is at Jesus' disposal completely because he purchased me with his blood and I'm all, all in for him. At the top of his list of credentials, in Paul's mind, at the top of his credentials before anything else, before uh, lifting himself up to any, any other thing that would, would, uh, would sell himself to these people, at the top of his list, he says, I'm a slave. I'm not in charge of, of my life. I am simply owned by Jesus. I'm Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Then he says he's called to be an apostle. And, the, and there's a lot there as well. Two things are necessary in order to be called an apostle. And just so you know, you can't be an apostle because an apostle was someone who had, first of all, who had seen Jesus personally. Now, Paul uh, hadn't, uh, hadn't really been in the circles when Jesus was, uh, was, was alive uh, as far as uh, uh, following him then. He had a conversion on the, uh, on the road to Damascus, right? And so, so uh, but in that conversion, Jesus appeared to him. And so, so uh, Paul, he, he had met Jesus. He was called, he called himself the least of the apostles because uh, he was, he was uh, so humble about it, but, but he saw the Lord personally. And the other qualification for being an apostle uh, comes from uh, the fact that, that, uh, that an apostle was called by Jesus himself. Again, on that Damascus road, Jesus called Paul into service for him. He specifically gave Paul his apostleship. Uh, being an apostle then uh, kind of uh, denotes uh, the, the whole idea of chosenness. We're, we're chosen, we're called Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus is speaking to Ananias, who then spoke to Paul and, and kind of uh, delivered God's message to him. And, and he, he described, God described uh, Paul to Ananias as, uh, he said, he is a chosen vessel. High on the list of Paul's credentials was that he was not on a mission for his own well-being, but he was called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then the next thing, the next uh, part of his credentials is that he was set apart for the gospel. In his writings uh, and in the throughout Scripture, we see three different times when when God set Paul apart. He says, "I'm set apart for the gospel." We see it three different times in Galatians 1:15. Uh, Paul is describing God's hand in his life from the very start. He says, uh, "God set me apart from my mother's womb." So Paul recognized that that God had set him apart for for this purpose, even from even before birth. The second time that, that Paul was set apart was on that Damascus road during that conversion experience. Jesus set him apart from the world, set him apart from, from the Pharisees and from persecuting the church, set him apart for this, uh, this amazing, uh, uh, ministry that he's going to have. And then the third is, is listed in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 when it says the, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke at Antioch and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Paul had been set apart by God throughout his life as a person to proclaim and live out the message of the gospel. Next week, we're going to go deep into Paul's description of that gospel, which he, he starts here in verses 2 through 6, and then he, he really kind of comes to a comes to a head in verses 16 and 17, really the crux of the introduction to the whole letter, and, and we're going to look at that next week. But it's a, it's, it's a life-changing gospel. It's rooted and established in Jesus Christ. And God set Paul apart to live it and to proclaim it. So if we're to look at who this Paul was, if we were these, uh, these uh, people in this Roman church and we received this letter, well, Paul, who's, who's this Paul guy? Well, well let's see. He's, he was purchased as a slave. He's called an apost- he was a called apostle and he's a set-apart preacher. He's, he's a purchased slave, he's a called apostle and he's a set-apart preacher. He's purchased and he's called and he's set apart. 
And maybe that's as much as we need to tackle this morning because I think that takes us deep into the truth of our own identity. Each of us are also purchased and called and set apart. Jesus has purchased you. We sung about it. We prayed about it. We've talked about it already today. Jesus has purchased you with his own blood on the cross. He saw you, even even you, even me. He saw us in the marketplace, dead in our sin. And he said, I've paid the price for that one. As we accept that payment for our sin, we become a slave of God, purchased by his love. It's not oppressive, but it's freeing. And we serve our master, Jesus. And just like Paul, every part of us, if we take God up on his offer and and he says, I've paid for that one, and we begin to follow him as our master, then everything that makes us who we are is now at Jesus' disposal. Who I am, what I've experienced, uh, who I'm becoming, uh, the relationships, all of that is on mission for God because he has purchased me and I I am a slave for him. Not only are we purchased, but we're also called into a life of service. We are also set apart for his use. All of these things kind of kind of roll into one. We can't officially be an apostle. Paul was the last one, but we have been chosen. We are are called to live our lives proclaiming and representing the gospel of the kingdom of God. We are chosen vessels set apart just the way we are to make a difference for God in this life. And so the challenge here, even in this opening verse of this letter, the challenge is that we need to fulfill our calling. We we need to allow God to, to flow through us in the lives that we live each day. He has purchased us with his blood. He has called us. He has set us apart to an amazing life here and now and in eternity with the hope and the promise of heaven. We have been purchased. We've been called. We've been set apart. Our identity is not just, oh, I'm Paul. I'm purchased by the blood of Jesus. I have been called to an amazing life with him, and I've been set apart to be on mission for him wherever he takes me. Why in the world would that be true? We get a clue of that as we jump down to the two line in verse 7. Paul says, it's Paul, and that's who I am. My identity is, is in what God has done for me. And I'm writing this to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. (laughs) Many translations use the phrase, uh, writing this to the beloved of God in Rome. Why would God go to all the trouble to go to the marketplace and purchase us with the blood of, of his son, Jesus? Why would he call us, even us? We know us. We're not worth being called. We're not worth being set apart. But God did all this. Why? Because we are loved. We are the beloved of God. We are so, so loved throughout the rest of this letter. It's an amazing letter. I, I, I don't know how I can say it anymore. It's an amazing, uh, amazing truths in this letter. But throughout the rest of this letter, we're going to see uh, the story of God's love unfold before us. And we're gonna, we're gonna see, uh, the, the depth of our sin, but the depth that, that, that Jesus went to go even further than our sin in order to bring us to new life in Him. But for today, I think we just need to, we just need to stop right here. And we need to know in our heart of hearts that God loves us, that He has purchased us with His blood. He has a purpose for our lives. And so He has chosen us and He has set us apart to be part of what He is doing in the world. I invite you to stand.
And I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And I know we've done so many things today and I've probably talked way too fast and, and, and all those things, but, but even in the quiet of this moment, I just pray, dear God, I pray that you would help us to know our identity in you. Lord, before we ever get into the nitty-gritty of this letter and the, the, the ins and outs of what it means to follow you and, and, uh, and, and what, where we've come from and, and the depth of our sin and, and all that, Lord, before we get to any of all of that, I just pray that your spirit would impress upon our hearts how much you love us, how much you have, have chosen us and, and the extreme to which you have gone to purchase us. Lord, I pray that even in this moment that we'll renew or maybe for the first time make that commitment to you, that we are indeed your slave, your servant, that, that all that we are is yours. We surrender everything to you. We acknowledge your presence, your, your plans, your power in our lives. And we pray, Lord, I pray that as we go from here today, that, that, that we would go recognizing that your spirit uh, truly lives within us. And the things that we say, <laughs> the things that we do, that, 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 that you are leading those things pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to whatever you want to do in our lives. We commit ourselves fully and completely to you today. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.